0: This is R.J. Rush Dooney. This evening, our Easy Chair guest is Sam Blumenfeld. Sam has been with us many times before. He was for a time a staff member. Now he has his own foundation and an excellent national work furthering Homeschooling, among other things. It's always been a pleasure to hear Sam and a special pleasure this time because the work is progressing so well. We are seeing an educational revolution in the United States. And so as we begin a new century, on this evening, May the 1st, 2000. Sam, it's an especially happy occasion to have you with us again. I believe that homeschooling has a future few can predict uh, its extent and it's growing faster than anyone can keep up with.
1: Yes, you're absolutely right, Rush, and of course it's a great pleasure to be with you and the Chalcedon staff here, Andrew and Mark, who are also here tonight. What is today's date now? Is it the May May 2nd or May May 1st? Today today is May. Well, this is May Day, as a matter of fact. They're having all of these parades in uh, Moscow, yeah. and uh, Havana, and, uh, but uh, I came to San Jose or Santa Clara last weekend uh, for the uh, Chia Homeschool Conference. Chia standing for Christian Home Educators Association, not California Home Educators Association, and that was made very clear by Philip Trout the president of the organization, who was uh, is very, very adamant about the Christian character of this homeschool association because he sees in the Christian homeschool uh, um, movement uh, a grassroots return to the faith, a grassroots return to... Uh, a deeper understanding of what Christianity means for everyday life, uh, something which unfortunately the churches are not preaching very well. Uh, it, it, it's sort of tragic that the churches themselves, the ministers, are not encouraging Christian parents to take their children out of the public schools at a time when we know that the public schools are are so completely influenced by satanic forces. All you have to look is at the uh, curriculum uh, with values clarification and multiculturalism and death education and sex education and everything else that's now being taught that Christian children ought not to be in the public schools, and so in the, uh, I gave two addresses: one on what homeschoolers should be doing in the new millennium, and the other on the uh, importance of homeschooling to America. And in the first, I I, I said that it was important for homeschoolers to uh, maintain and to promote God's curriculum. Now, rush, I'm sure that you believe that there is a curriculum that we could call God's curriculum. You certainly wrote a book on, on uh, the, the curriculum of the Christian school. And I, I went back to Genesis, in which, of course, God uh, creates man in his image. That's the first thing. So we know that man is made in God's image. He's not an animal. Uh, he's quite separate from the animal kingdom. That's quite clearly uh, made, manifest in in Genesis. And also, apart from telling man that he's made in God's image, which means that he's creative, doesn't mean that he is like God, he's not another God, uh, but he has certain attributes of God. Would would you not agree uh, to that, Rush? (laughs) That he has certain attributes of God, which is creativity, and intelligence and and the means to take dominion because god says take dominion and of course he gave uh, the he gave man the power of language he didn't give it to any other creature he gave it man the power of language because without the power of language without the power to define you could not take dominion language really is the means by which man takes dominion over the earth over the fowl and all the other things another important thing that god does is that he brings all of the animals to adam and he says name them so he turns adam into a scientist an observer of nature and a lexicographer a maker of dictionaries because here adam has to now name all the animals which just which i imagine that was the first first lesson that God gave Adam in in God's curriculum. And so you can build an entire curriculum around God's concept of what man, what he he made of man. And that's what I try to convey to the homeschoolers that they had a very special mission in America, which was to reassert God's curriculum in this country among Christians. Now, Christian ministers who permit their uh, members of their congregation to put their children in these satanic public schools are not teaching God's curriculum. As a matter of fact, they're doing just the opposite.
2: That's exactly right. Well, they're allowing their members to tie their children to to Molech, to send them to the state.
1: That's right. And also the
2: the, the whole concept of
1: evolution means that man is an animal. So man is not made in the image of God in the public school. Man is an animal. To be trained like an animal, as a matter of fact, I would say now that the American school system is a human animal management system. It has nothing to do with education. Nothing whatever. And social engineering. That's it, yeah. social engineering.
0: Let and me, if, yes? Let me add to what you and Andrew Sandon have said you cited as basic in the beginning in in the Genesis account of creation man being required by God to name the animals and all things right well we forget because our use of language has been very very bad and has corrupted so much of it that when God says man is to name the animals, it's a scientific task. Absolutely. It is to classify them. And that's why if a man's nature changed, he was renamed. He had to be reclassified. And uh, we find this in that in the Bible, some people have more than one name. Uh, and in the case of one of David's sons, his first name, as given by his father, was a very fine one. But in time, he came to
1: be called the dog. Oh my. <laughs> He was reclassified. Reclassified as an animal. But that's what's happened to American children here in this country. As you know, Rush, this country was created by, or founded by Calvinists, by uh, uh, deeply uh, religious individuals who uh, uh, professed faith in the Bible. As a matter of fact, the whole purpose of education at the very beginning was to create biblical literacy. That's why children were taught to read so well, so that they could read the Bible and they could found a civilization on the Bible. And, of course, uh, in early education in this country, uh, this was a a God-centered worldview, and and the purpose of life was to glorify God. Everybody understood that, that. It was, you know, no great thing. And then, of course, we entered... When the Unitarians took over, we entered what I call the Hegelian period, which lasted from about eighteen forty until about 18, until the turn of the century but even the, even though Hegel did not believe in the God of the Bible, nevertheless, he considered human intelligence to be the higher manifestation of the that great spirit, the world's so-called world spirit, so that there was emphasis put. On, uh, uh, on developing the intellectual uh, faculties. And as you know, in, in Calvinist times, uh, the schools taught Latin, Greek, and Hebrew because those were the languages of, the, uh, of Scripture, of Holy Scripture. But then during the Hegelian period, they dropped Hebrew and kept Latin and Greek because those were the languages of the pagan classics. Then we go into the progressive period, which was totally atheistic. Uh, this was John Dewey and his colleagues whose aim was to create uh, a socialist society that believed thoroughly in evolution, that man was an animal. Uh, as you know, uh, Rush, you wrote a marvelous book on that whole subject, The Messianic Character of American Education, in which you talked about Thorndike. Mm-hmm. and his animal training technique. <laughs> yes. He was the one who said that children should be trained like animals. Yes, you see. And now we're in what I would call the communist phase of American education, which is the Clinton, uh, you know, uh, phase and the chief architect there was is Mark Tucker. He and and the Clintons uh, and and of course um, Hillary Clinton was on Mark Tucker's board of trustees with his national center for uh, education and the economy and they have simply adopted the communist form of education which is training for specific jobs the government uh, plans your life for you as it as was done under the uh, soviets and in the eastern european uh, countries they're getting away from that now we're (laughs) headed toward that you see so You know, so man is not only thoroughly an animal, but he's a slave to the state.
0: Yes. Mark? Have you any comments about any of this?
3: No, go ahead.
1: Well, well, the point I'm I'm trying to make is that um, we've come so far that the homeschool movement has risen up simply because these parents realize what their children are up against in the public schools, particularly if they're Christian parents, they cannot wait for the menaces to wake up. It's as simple as that. The Christian menaces are asleep.
2: Yeah, in fact, I would go so far as to say in many cases, in fact, I know of some specific cases where this is true, that the church and ministers are actually discouraging uh, Christian homeschoolers and Christian homeschool parents because it doesn't fit into their nice little idea of what their nice little church should be. Yes. And by the way, this is why, in my opinion, that a lot of home churches have started. The home church movement, yes. to a large degree, sprang out of the home school movement. Right. You're absolutely and right. And I think that's, it's, it's understandable why that, why that happened, because of the very things you're talking about. Well, yeah. Look, take,
1: for example, the, the situation at Columbine High School in Littleton, Colorado. Here's a, here's a high school that, that created murderers out of normal children. The interesting thing uh, about all of these horrible crimes uh, uh, rush is that they're committed by normal kids. Normal kids are so susceptible to this kind of satanic teaching that goes on. It's subliminal. I mean, nobody goes around saying we are teaching satanic things, but that's what it all adds up to. But even at Columbine, where we're so so obvious that the, that the whole school reeked with Satanism, you still have Christian parents who keep their kids there. How do you explain
0: yes. that, Rush? It's because they do not value their Christianity that highly. I have talked to parents who refuse to put their children in a Christian school or to homeschool them, and it comes down, basically, the cost and in every instance they were very well-to-do families. I like to remind people of the change that has occurred which you and I discussed earlier. Uh, I go back a little further than you do at 84, (laughs) a generation almost, and when I was a child, when I was in high school, when I was in college, whenever I went home, any one of the farmhouses I visited, there would be a corner usually in the kitchen where there would be at least one shotgun and a rifle. Handguns were common, but not as common as shotguns and rifles. And in some instances, the children very early on were taught the use of guns. To cite an example that comes when I was a mature man in the 50s. Here in California, a boy who, when he reached six, received a twenty-two rifle for his birthday and he was told what he was going to do with it. He was going to go out to the cow pasture where they had uh, several horses and watch for any ground squirrel or gopher to stick up his head and then to shoot and kill them. Because if he did not, sooner or later, a horse would break his leg on one of those gopher holes. He was also told that if he use the gun for anything else. He would get a whipping and he would lose the gun. Neither that boy nor any other I knew who was given a similar task ever abused the use of the gun. You never heard of anyone taking guns to school or knives or any kind of weapon. The difference is in the Christian culture The difference is that then God had a place even in the public schools. Yes. We have destroyed the meaning of education. We have created totally godless schools. And so we blame not ourselves, but the guns. Why weren't the guns when they were more common a problem? Of course, the answer is that even the non-Christian families still had such a discipline from the older Christian faith that it carried over to their children.
1: Well, you're absolutely right, and that's the problem today, and that's why so many Christian parents have become homeschoolers and joined Christian homeschooling organizations as opposed to just a general uh you know non-denominational or secular organization I interviewed Philip Trout who is the president of Chia and he told me that he, that he had been advised by many people to tone down the Christian character of the organization to open it up to uh, secular more secular uh, individuals and he said he refused to do that because he felt, that the Christian homeschool movement was really the true, uh, you might say, restoration of the Christian faith in this country. That it had to be grounded in families, it had to be grounded in the education of children, and it had to be grassroots. Uh, and, And that's because the Christian ministers weren't doing their jobs,
3: and it has to involve application of the faith. Absolutely, and homeschoolers do that in a very practical way. Because you have to remember, when you talk about Christians who put their children in public school, well, if you look at the state of the your you know your average church today, your average denomination, right. there's little that we you know people a hundred years ago would even recognize as Christianity. Um, very little theology. Some of it is, is frankly heretical. And a lot of these parents who put their children in public schools were themselves raised in public schools, and their parents were raised in public school, and there's several generations there have been raised in the public schools, and they basically have the humanistic thinking of the public school. And they think of their Christian uh, faith as basically something that's entirely separate. It's entirely a pietistic um, spiritual idea that doesn't really have any bearing. The homeschoolers have to take the application, and they're applying their faith in a very practical way. That, That a lot of Christians just aren't used to the idea. They don't understand the idea that the Christian faith actually needs to be applied. Yes,
1: but of course all of this has great implications for the government itself, for our view of politics and of the government's interests in education. Uh, I think that uh, Christians must recognize that the government ought not to be involved in education because of what it has done to education. It has really destroyed education in this country. Uh, Perhaps it will help.
0: Mark, perhaps you can do it, to let our
3: readers know, or listeners, what CHEA stands for, C-H-E-A. Uh, well, Sam mentioned it's uh, oh, Christian, the, Christian Home Educators uh, Association. Christian Home Educators Association. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, and it's California. not just in California.
2: Yeah. There are conventions like that. I know in Ohio there's oh, yeah. the same organization. as Well, year. here in California, CHEA has its own attorney
0: in Sacramento, Roy Hanson. Yes, he monitors all the bills introduced, lets the homeschoolers know.
1: He's been a tremendous force. Yeah, and of course he has to monitor the legislature because you've got these politicians who are constantly trying to, quote, help the homeschoolers. (laughs) And what Philip told me, he says, just leave us alone. We don't want your help. We don't want subsidies. We don't want anything from the government. We want to be left alone. And, of course, government people can't understand that, Uh, particularly during the census period, You know, when all the ads over the radio said, well, send in your census form so that we can help you with this and help you with that. Yeah. I mean, they're making the American people dependent on government for, you know, everything. It's it's ridiculous. And the beauty of the homeschool movement is that these are people who have separated themselves from a state institution. Uh, and that's, that's very important because they've discovered the value of it. Not only of educational freedom, but they've also discovered that they are better educators than the so-called certified professionals. Right. You know who can teach reading. Do you know, uh, Rush? There isn't a single college in California that teaches teachers how to teach reading, writing, and arithmetic
0: I in a traditional
1: way, and uh, they just don't exist any longer. But parents have rediscovered. Uh, all of these traditional means of teaching, because if you go to a homeschool fair these days there are all kinds of vendors selling all kinds of programs that are far superior to anything being used in the public schools, and that's particularly true of history. And one of the things I'd like to see you do, Rush, is to get your tapes on history uh, into the homeschool market because those are, those are the people who really appreciate.
2: We're working on it. American history. You know? Russia spent a career emphasizing self-government, the need to return to self-government. Actually, that's what Christian homeschooling is. It's a step in self-government. It's basically Absolutely. a statement of independence. We're oh, not yeah. going to rely on the state. We're going to govern our families in this particular sphere. Well, if they'll break off, if these families will break off. From the civil government in this way, they're likely to break off in other ways also. Oh yes. That's why I think Christian homeschooling is one step in the direction of retaking the culture.
1: Well, it is. Of course, it's it's still small compared to. You know what is it? Forty-five million kids are in the public schools, and only maybe two million are being homeschooled. It's expanding. It's growing. I remember, you know, ten or eleven years ago when I attended our first statewide homeschool convention in uh, Massachusetts, which is, you know, so backward when it comes to this sort of thing. Uh, There were about 300 parents at that first meeting. Well, this last year there were 3,000, and they had to rent the largest convention center in the state, the convention center in Worcester, which is the second largest city. Because there was no hotel big enough in the whole state of Massachusetts for a for the homeschool convention. And it's a Christian organization. Mass Hope is very fervently Christian, and they maintain their, their
2: Christian faith, which is so encouraging, you know. And this is happening all over the country. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. As you look toward the future, I saw one of the talks that you gave was on Christian homeschooling in uh, the next in this millennium in this millennium uh... what do you where do you see it going and what do you think should be some objectives of the Christian homeschooling movement as it moves on to the into the future
1: well uh... what's happening you you find some really remarkable things happening for example uh, michael Ferris, who is the president of the homeschool legal defense association has founded along with his colleagues, has founded Patrick Henry College in Virginia. The purpose of the college is to train up homeschooled uh, youngsters, homeschooled young people, to go up on the hill and become aides and assistants to Christian congressmen. Because it's one thing to be elected to Congress, it's another to have aides who can
2: really, truly help you, who have some notion of what, uh, what the problems are. And a lot of those aides have more power and more influence than a lot of people in the country oh, would imagine. When I visited Washington, D.C., I really discovered that. Yeah, because you find,
1: for example, that a congressman may be elected and reelected and then leave, but the aides will go from one congressmen to another, they they hang around and uh, they accumulate a tremendous amount of knowledge of how the system works. And so uh, we need, uh, and I told the homeschoolers, I said, you've got to get involved in politics because your freedom depends on what state legislators and what people in Congress do. And I said, you've got to become not only involved with politics, but I said, you've got to run for office. And I looked at the room of leaders, and I said, all of you would make wonderful legislators in Sacramento. And you ought to begin running for office, because they are the ones who can take your freedom away from you. That's right. Because we have such ignorant statesmen, so-called mm-hmm. statesmen. We have such ignorant legislators in the state legislature. And of course, Rush, you're well acquainted with what, what goes on in Sacramento, and also in Washington, and this is true, of, of of course, of all of the state legislatures in America. So more and more homeschoolers are becoming uh, legislators, are be, uh, getting involved, and this is just the beginning. We have a whole new generation of young homeschoolers who are now reaching maturity. Uh, they are reaching their, they're reaching their—they're in their 20s now. They're going to homeschool their own children and they have a very bright future because they're literate they're uh, christian in their outlook they have a healthy you know a healthy world view and they can do great things so i guess there's there's a, a great deal to look forward to i that's the only thing that makes me feel optimistic about uh, the future
0: our time is about up so please turn your tape over at this time, and then I'd like to introduce a very important question which is never asked. There is a question I'd like to raise. Now, it is related to a question I have often before spoken about or written about. Namely, the elimination of most of high school. Reducing the grade school to grades 1 through 9, and then the student going on to the college or university. We have too much repetition in grade and high school. Now, my further question is this. Why not eliminate the first two years of college? put what must be taught into the high school, but have a person go to the university or college and begin work immediately in their field of major studies. Is there, meanwhile, any consideration for homeschooling for the first two years of college to get the student better prepared because those years are the stupid ones at most universities. The classes will vary from 1100 to 1500, sometimes larger. They are poorly taught. The professor tries to be a popularizer. He makes the most outrageous statements and uh, I know that at Berkeley I used to challenge at times the veracity of their statements and in one instance the man apologized publicly Mm. most of the time the they act as though their only purpose there is to enjoy themselves by Turning the course into a bid for popularity. Now, do you know of any attempt to homeschool children for
1: uh, the first two years
0: of the university?
1: Well, there is. Uh, there are more and more homeschoolers who are beginning to think in terms of teaching their children at home, at least giving them college courses, because, as you know. Um, most of what goes on in college, anyway, in the early, uh, in the early, the first two years, is is involved with just reading, reading certain books. And I remember telling a friend of mine that why should he put his child in a secular college where he is going to be forced to waste his time reading books that are not worth reading. That if he if he stayed at home, at least he could be reading books that are worth reading. Mm-hmm. And so it was a matter of, of one of wasting time or using time to its best advantage. Because uh, today's colleges waste an awful lot of yes. time. But homeschoolers are generally free rush to organize their uh, the education of their children any way they see fit. Mm-hmm. Now, of, now Michael Ferris at at the uh, Patrick Henry College intends to have the kids, the, the students, working for the congressmen while they are also studying. He also, he believes in this apprentice approach, which is good. In other words, they will be applying their knowledge by also working on the Hill with the congressmen and doing that sort of, sort of thing. So, The reason why, of course, you can't do it with the system is because the system basically is a business, and the system depends on money, it's all run for money, Uh, today's universities are big businesses, basically, and uh, they organize their, their efforts, they organize their curriculum in such a manner as to get the maximum tuition out of these Mm -hmm. poor, kids who go into debt. I mean, today's, oh, yeah. today's young people come out of college with $100,000 in debt.
0: Yes, well, not too many years ago they would not accept homeschoolers. Now the colleges and universities favor them. Oh, yes. So if we could get something started in this year era uh, area I think we could, by sheer sure excellence, very quickly demonstrate that uh, the first two years of college or the university could be homeschooled very easily and better than any other
1: way. Yes, and I agree with you, and I've advised homeschoolers to definitely look into the first two years of college. Uh, because you really only need a, to go to a university to be credentialed, to have whatever it is they now give, uh, whatever diploma or piece of paper that you need in order to be able to say, well, you know, I'm, I'm a college graduate. But certainly the first two years can very easily be done by home at home, mm-hmm. and more and more colleges are willing to give credit for homeschooled uh, work and of course, now there are so many uh, uh, so many college courses given by correspondents that you don't even have to attend a university these days to even go as far as a Ph.D.
3: The Why don't Internet you Internet universities are, are, yeah, are just around in. the corner. Yeah. They're already starting to talk in the in the media about the uh, coming of the Internet mm-hmm, university, mm-hmm. and. Uh, uh, Eventually, colleges are going to catch on to the fact that they can make money off of homeschoolers, yeah. whether it's through some kind of competency testing, and there there are certain tests that have been around for a number of years to basically get you out of some of the freshman and sophomore classes if you can pass certain tests. I forget the name of those CLEP. Tests. College Level Examination Program. Yeah. CLEP. 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 CLEP.
2: Uh-huh.
3: And, uh, they're going to draw, attract the homeschoolers to them if if the homeschooler knows I don't have to go for four right. years, I can get by with two or three years and get a, a yes. degree. And so there's a market there for homeschoolers who don't need to go through the uh, freshman English classes, who don't need to go through the, the, the uh, History of Civilization class. They've already got that. Yes.
0: I think if you could write an article on the subject. Andrew, I hope would be interested in publishing
1: it, and we might get some people thinking in this area. Yeah. Well, it's it's an idea that I have certainly written about in in my own book on homeschooling. I have a chapter on you know colleges and getting your uh, diploma by uh, correspondence because now there are so many programs available. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, of homeschoolers that they don't even have to go to any campus any longer.
2: I suspect that 40 years from now, that most people will be able to earn college degrees by sitting in front of their computers. Oh, yeah. Oh, with you know,
1: a lot of the young people today go to college for the social life. I mean, right. you know, the partying, <laughs> the, the Daytona right. beer parties, I that's mean, that's right. what they're doing these days. It's become part of what you would, what is it, the tribal
2: kind of uh, business of... Uh, oh. Drinking yourself half to death. Oh, but but today the point is, is with real time audio, you can see teaching. Yeah. you can get so much information on CD-ROMs that it won't be necessary to go to these godless institutions to get credentials.
1: You're absolutely right. But then you ask yourself, are these institutions that are going to allow themselves to go out of business?
2: If they can make money on this, yeah, they'll find a way to make money. Right. Then because uh, you've got these it.
1: great campus Campuses or campi, what whatever you want to call them <laughs> camps <laughs> camps and uh, they're big money makers. I mean, like you can't yeah. imagine Harvard University not attracting people
2: or Berkeley or or. Uh, but I think it would be for different reasons. Palo Alto, you know, for, Stanford for, for like the social life and the culture, and yeah. not necessarily for the teaching.
1: But you're, you're right. As a matter of fact, the professors now can uh, create programs uh, on their courses that are available by video right. uh, or by, uh, through the internet mm-hmm. so that you can get the best professors in America rather than some instructor. That's right. Because today's uh, top professors don't teach anymore. Mm-hmm. They're doing research, they're writing books, and they let these lowly instructors
2: a lot of times TAs, teaching assistants. Yeah,
1: teaching yeah. assistants. Give the, so why spend all that money to listen to some teaching assistant read from a book that you can read yourself? It doesn't. Yes. One of these days that people are going to wake up and realize that today's higher ed- education, a good deal of it is a racket.
2: Oh, it is a racket.
1: Just to yeah. extract money from these kids. and. Parents, of course, have an allegiance to their alumni. You know, their their alma mater, alma yeah. mater, so to speak. And uh, but the major institutions like, like Harvard that have these enormous endowments and Brown University, I mean, everybody wants to get into them. And the homeschoolers yeah. are getting into them very nicely. Yes, on scholarships, believe mm-hmm. it or not, even into the military academies at the com- at the uh, at the convention i was shown the picture of a young man who is graduating from the um, aviation academy in colorado springs and he's a homeschooler
2: you know doing very well sam what is your let me shift direction here what is your opinion of this this revival of the so-called uh, classical christian school with the teaching of the uh, trivium and all of the latin and uh, going back to the sort of uh, Greco-Roman model and Christianizing it. What is your opinion of all that?
1: Well, I really don't know too much about it. I know that it exists, and I know that, the, that uh, some people are putting great stock into that uh, learning language. For example, I gave a talk on how to raise a literate child, and I spoke about the need to first read to your child very early, good literature and then the need to teach your child to read phonetically, you know, with phonics, and to expose your child to good literature. I then suggested that uh, that they have the, get 19th century books for the child to read because they're so rich in vocabulary and sentence structure. But then when it came to language, I, I, I thought, well, uh, I think to be truly literate, you have to have a second language under your belt. Spanish, French, German, Russian, whatever. It's simply the contrast of cultures. As far as the, the classic approach, the teaching of Latin, Latin, yes, is helpful in learning English, uh, but French is just as helpful in that regard, because. There's an awful lot of French in English. And German. And German, right. Yeah. And so I said, well, it's up to you what what your child is interested in. If your child would like to lear- learn Japanese, for example. I don't have any specific view about the trivium. I mean, the trivium applied basically to education as it was conducted back in the Middle Ages, basically. And I have yet to see uh, its... Um, value today? I'm not sure. I just don't know. I I really don't want to give a a pro or con uh, opinion at this time. I'd have to look into it more, and I'd have to examine those kids who have had the trivium Mm -hmm. and see, well, what do they know, and how well do they know it, and where do they go from there, and how long does that last? Is that just for the elementary school, or is it right through to... uh, one of the interesting things that you find out when you study uh, education as it was conducted back in the, the 18th century is that there was an enormous amount of memorization done in those mm-hmm. days. You memorized entire books. And memorization is a marvelous thing because once it's up there, you know, it's, it stays there. And uh, I know I get a lot of questions from parents who say, how can I improve my child's spelling? Spelling is terrible. And I say, well, have your child simply copy correct text,
2: you know. Yes,
1: that's what I'm saying. I whether it's it's the Bible or the Declaration of Mm -hmm. Independence, but copying helps. And And it develops develops a vocabulary, too. And it develops a vocabulary. And also, I remember reading a a Somerset Mom and they asked him how did he learn to write he said by copying other writers (laughs) (laughs) you know sitting there just copying them and learning sentence structure and learning vocabulary and that's how he learned so there's a lot to be said in copying but of course today's kids they're supposed to invent spelling
2: you know you've
1: heard of invented spelling and they're supposed to be creative and make up their they're supposed to be budding little shakespeare's at the age of five and six right and of course, what it turns out that they write you know double triple, yes. you know
0: I had one teacher in uh, grade school give a class an assignment. We had a number of uh, subjects assigned, not too many, and we were given the names of uh, three encyclopedias that we could consult. And we were told that uh, our article was to be so long which meant that it could not be long uh, to the point of exceeding the article. <coughs> we were to take the encyclopedia's words and sentences and expand them to fill out a particular length. That proved to be one of the most difficult and outstanding assignments in my early grade school years, because for me and for everyone else, it meant that uh, you started writing out of the encyclopedia article, but you had to expand it Mm -hmm. all the way through. And uh, it was a taxing assignment, but it set also a model of what was
1: required. Yes. And Rush, I know you write everything in longhand. Yes. And you write in cursive writing, don't you? That's the way you were taught. Well, you know, I'm trying to revive that. Most people today teach their children to print.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And I tell them that uh, if you teach a child to print first, they may never develop a decent cursive handwriting, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but if you teach cursive first, you can always develop a good Mm -hmm. print style later on. Well, this is all new to these young people, and I tell them, well, that's the way it was done when I was in school, you know, Uh, that it, it was not extraordinary, and then they say, well can you actually learn to read print and write cursive at the same time? Yes. <laughs> and I tell them, we all did. What's the big deal? You a lot know? of
2: them can't write a sentence without picking their pen up. Oh, I know. You, you know, with a whole word easily. You know, you ought to be able to do that. You should. Yeah. So uh, uh, I now have what is called the cursive-first movement to,
1: to return homeschoolers at least uh, I I lectured to them they're the only people who will listen to me on this whole issue of cursive writing but cursive writing was developed uh, over centuries to make it easier and uh, faster and less tiring if you write cursive correctly people
0: used to be able to take down everything you said that way that's right I know that in my later years sometimes Going to a lecture, uh, people around me would be trying to take notes and could get a sentence out of a page of what he might give, and uh, I never could understand why I could take down what he said almost verbatim, and the reason was, of course, they hadn't been taught as I was. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a pleasure when I went to the university to have that
2: ability, because it was already gone. Yes. You know, what's being lost too is the art of handwriting. Yes. You look penmanship. at some of the penmanship. I was taught penmanship in school. Uh, but that's being lost you, look you at don't in- look that old uh-huh. <laughs> you look at the inscription on a lot of the yeah. older books and the beautiful yes, handwriting yeah so, but today with voice recognition technology which of itself is good right. people won't even have to learn to type anymore they just simply speak into the computer
1: yeah all of that is but that, that's ridiculous you if you want to uh, write a, a short note a love letter, you know, you should be able to write it in in good handwriting. But you know, this story is told of of an American CEO who went to Germany uh, to take part in a conference, and there he was taking notes, and this German sitting next to him noticed that this CEO was printing, and he went over to him and he said, can't you write? The poor man was thoroughly embarrassed by the fact that he did not, or yeah. was not able to write cursive, that he had to print. Yeah. And here he was a top CEO, and he realized how embarrassing it was, you see. Mm-hmm. Because the Germans learned, you know, how to write cursive. So, uh, it's, it, you, when you're printing, you're really being very much of a child in that respect. Mm-hmm. You're, mm-hmm. You're, you're writing like a child, you
0: see. I think it is in the field of language studies and geography that we've had the greatest loss, because back in the twenties and our geography books went back to pre-war days you learned to know the location of every nation on earth and every colony, Mm -hmm. the capital, the main product, what kind of transportation facilities they had, and so on and on, including some of their history. And uh, uh, people are amazed at how much I know about world history. Uh, A great deal of it I learned in the early years in my geography courses then i
1: filled in the gaps later on Mm -hmm. well yeah the geography books back in those days were marvelous i've i've come across many of them in antiquarian bookstores and you see how thorough they were and how they covered the globe and every nation and they were well illustrated too in the 1880s and the 1890s there and the maps were beautiful they had great maps and today's kids are not given that kind of thorough uh, education most of them don't know the capitals Right. Uh, uh, it's just amazing the lack of knowledge that today's youngsters have about that's right world history about you ask, for example, uh, uh, today's uh, college graduate to name America's wars in chronological order, and most couldn't do it. Most have no idea when the Civil War took place or when... W- you have to ask them, what came first, World War One or World War II, and you'd be surprised <laughs> there are those who really don't know, you know? Mm. and. Uh, I mean, the Spanish-American War is totally forgotten.
2: Yeah. The yes. War of 1812 and all of that. The, uh, the
1: war, the Mexican War is totally forgotten. Yeah. Nobody even you asked an American student today of, about the Mexican War, they'll like, say what what war? Right. You know? Or, or even 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 today they don't know who fought whom in World War One or World War Two.
2: <laughs> yes. yes. That's very sad. They lose their history, they lose their direction for the future.
1: That's why I consider the Russia's tapes on history to be so valuable. Oh, yes. And I hope that they're circulated among homeschoolers because they're a a prime audience. They love history, Mm -hmm. they enjoy history, particularly the parents, you know, (laughs) who went to public schools and now are learning history for the first time, so they enjoy it also. Don't underestimate the value of homeschooling to the parents.
2: I agree with that. See, not only the the children. I want to return to a premise you began with because it was so powerful. You were arguing earlier that, in essence, Christian homeschooling is replacing today's church as a theologically vigorous institution. And, you know, I never thought of it in that light, but that's really true because a lot of these children... Are taught not only general academic subjects but also a theology and that's yeah. often missing in the church itself i know i noticed that about a lot of uh homeschool children they wouldn't sadly they wouldn't get that same sort of theological vigor in the church that they attend or at least in most churches yeah they, they won't get it in sunday school no sure. or even sadly from the pulpit right and that uh, i
1: became much more aware of that at this particular convention because of philip trout mm-hmm. i'd listened to, I, I had heard philip trout speak at other chia conventions and he, he 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 is so committed to his christian faith and it comes through so beautifully and whenever he talks to the uh, to the uh the new arrivals into the homeschool movement he lets them know right away he lets them know immediately that this is a christian movement you see and i I was sort of wondering about why is this man so strong in his faith Mm -hmm. why does he put so much emphasis on christian faith in the homeschool movement it's because he sees the homeschool movement as basically uh, not replacing the church, but doing the job of the church, which the church is not doing. Exactly, right. you see, and the fact that it's being done in the family, on a daily basis, where you have uh, devotions and Bible reading, and a tremendous emphasis on on the faith, on and, catechism, catechism, and catechism, and theology, cetera, yeah. on, on theology that it really becomes the strongest, I think, the strongest uh, expression of Christianity in America today. It's not in the churches. That it's is it. You know, Christian what you said movement. is so profound. Yeah. That is a stinging indictment Absolutely. Of, the ch- of
2: churches today.
1: Well, look at today's ministers. Rush, how many ministers do you know who tell their congregations to remove their children from the public schools?
2: Virtually none. Yeah, very few. In our church in Ohio, you couldn't be a member of the church if your children were in a public school. They had to be in a Christian school oh, really? or homeschool. home school. But sadly, there are not many churches like that in the country. Exactly. Looking back, one of the most powerful influences
0: on my schooling was my father reading to us children, whether fiction or nonfiction. It was amazing. It brought things to life. And uh, I've always enjoyed all reading. I did that with my children. Mark, being the youngest, was at the last and didn't get as much as the others did. But do you remember my reading stories at all? Yes. That's an aspect we've sadly missed. Well, our time is just about over. Thank you all for listening, and thank you, Sam, for being here with us. It's always a joy, and come again soon. I sure will. Thank you very much, Rush.